Welcome to the 7 Figure CEO Podcast, where we talk all things marketing strategies, business systems, personal development insights, and conduct interviews with successful CEOs and entrepreneurs. Learn the exact strategies on how 7 Figure CEOs market and scale their companies with your host, Chris Rodriguez. Welcome to the Seven Figure CEO Podcast, and today we have Nicholas Gregoriadis of BJJ Black Belt and Hodger Gracie's first ever awarded Black Belt. He's an accomplished competitor, podcast host, and author of Aligned, The Modern Man's Guide to Health, Wealth, and Freedom. Super excited to have someone of Nick's caliber on the podcast today. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. It's good to be yes, here. absolutely. So, you know, our listeners are a mix of martial artists, martial arts school owners, entrepreneurs who are really aiming to hit that seven figure mark. And since I mainly know you for your wicked jujitsu skills, I thought we'd talk a little, little bit about kind of your jujitsu journey and how that led you to now being, you know, a mentor, a podcast host and an acclaimed author. Yeah, so I started training uh, martial arts when I was very young, about seven years old. I, I took my first judo class and I did that for a few years. And then when I was 19, I started doing boxing, which I really enjoyed. did that for a couple of years. And then I started doing a little bit of submission grappling in my home city of Cape Town, South Africa. And I, I loved that. I was, I was pretty good at that. And then I moved to London uh, and during my time in London, I started training at, at Rogers Academy, the original academy in, in Northwest London. And just was, again, I was, I was pretty good at it. I was very dedicated and focused. And so I managed to get my black belt from Roger. And then, um, yeah, I, I spent many years teaching. I still teach quite a bit, um, but I, I have two focuses now. The one is, is my association called Subconscious Jiu-Jitsu. And the other one is uh, I'm a, a men's coach. I help men lead lives of authenticity and fulfillment. And the way that came about was, you know, I was just looking at everything I'd done in jujitsu. And, you know, I, I love jujitsu, but when you do something for like 20 or 30 years, you know, you, you want to expand your horizons. And I realized that there was a lot of overlap with, with what I'd done in jiu-jitsu and the way I led men on the mats and I realized I could lead them in other things because you know spiritual growth and personal development I've, I've been doing that for even longer than I've been doing jiu-jitsu so there was a natural uh overlap with that and I think it's coming up on three or four years ago three years now I I started my my other business uh my coaching business and released my first book a year ago second book is coming soon and uh it's it's been a wild ride it's been a lot more challenging um than than jiu-jitsu was for me but uh no less rewarding i definitely can relate with doing something for a very long period of time and also developing certain skill sets that you want to try out in mm -hmm. you know other ventures you know, curious, you're, you're working, you know, predominantly with, with men and, and helping to coach them. Uh, you know, how do you think jujitsu has played a role in, in that ability? And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think of the state of the culture of jujitsu 
uh, you know, where we're at right now. Hmm. What an interesting question. Uh, so I think that uh, there's, there's two types of jujitsu culture. There's the one which is predominant in most, most jiu-jitsu academies around the world where you go and it's a group of people just wanting to better themselves and experience some camaraderie, experience some physical touch to be, to be honest, because a lot of people are so um, distanced from actual, any sort of physical contact or interaction. And they just want to be around, they want to socialize, they want to joke with people and, you know, learn together and just have this kind of bonding experience. And that aspect of the culture, to be honest, Chris, that's, that's the only thing that keeps me in jiu-jitsu at this point, because mm. I don't compete anymore, really. And, you know, in my 40s now, jiu-jitsu is very hard on my body. And the truth is, learning new jiu-jitsu moves and stuff, I enjoy it. You know, I find it, it's, it's fun and it's interesting, but it doesn't excite me. It doesn't, there's, there's no passion in that for me. Like, when you've been doing it for as long as I have, like, there's naturally going to be a tapering off of that. But what does excite me and what does keep me on the mats is that culture I just described, which is, you know, sometimes I just go down to the academy just to see my friends, just to hang out, just get a little bit of exercise, just shoot the shit and just just be around cool people. And that element of the culture, um, I love, you know, I'm, I'm the biggest proponent of it. I think it's so good for people. I think it's so healthy. And I'm, I'm the biggest supporter and champion of that. Uh, there's another element of the culture, which you know, is, is very linked, I think, or very, uh, it's, it runs parallel to MMA, which is this like douchebag, tough guy kind of mentality where everyone's always talking smack. And it's, it's all about who's the toughest guy. And um, there's very little respect. There's very little of what I believe to be the true essence of martial arts. It's all about who can, you know, uh, take the most steroids and train the hardest and then kick the shit out of the other guy the best and smack talk the best. And I've got very little tolerance or interest in any of that. And I, in fact, that's, I've got zero interest in any of that. It, it's, it just makes me feel gross whenever I, I see it or read anything about it. Or when I see these guys who've made it to the top of the, of that particular um, ladder, uh, they just don't seem like people I'd want to spend any time with. Um, or, or that then they're not on my frequency. So I just avoid that, that element of the culture. So a long way of answering your question, there are these two very disparate cultures, the one I love, the one I don't like at all. And uh, that's my current perspective on it. Yeah, I uh, love the way that you explain that was recently at a, a grappling tournament. And I've been doing jujitsu for a couple of decades now as well. And uh, we predominantly focus on kids jujitsu, just being a woman and I'm five foot two, it, it kind of made sense owning a jujitsu school to focus on the kids programs. And we hadn't brought in our, our competition team since before COVID. And we recently went a few weekends ago and I have noticed a complete shift in not just the way that coaches and adults are acting that are competing, but even the kids. And after the tournament, I'm, I'm going online on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm getting hit with these ads of these eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds that have Instagram profiles with all of their uh, you know, accolades. And I've definitely noticed that 
kind of more MMA culture seeping into a lot more of uh, the tournaments. And, you know, the, the first culture that you explained is the same reason why I, I love jujitsu. There's just something magical that happens when you roll with somebody that I haven't been able to recreate in any other sport that, you know, I've ever played. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so awesome that you have, you know, this, this jujitsu life, and then you have this now coaching life. Um, thank you for sending me a copy of the book aligned. I was able to, to read through it. Talk to me a little bit about the process of writing your book, because I'm an author as well. And just kind of interested on, you know, why you decided to become an author. You're now writing a second book. And what was that process like for you? Yeah, so actually, uh, Aligned was my third book. Um, I wrote two jiu-jitsu books before that. So I'm now writing my fourth book. And awesome. But it was my first personal development book or, or book on a topic unrelated to jiu-jitsu. Um, or I guess direct, not directly related to jiu-jitsu. And, you know, Chris, I really believe if you, all the best books, they're kind of inside you and they just, they want to be written. They kind of just have to be expressed, right? Otherwise... It starts to drive you a little bit mad. And it was the same process with the line. You know, I, I've been on a journey for my whole life to maximize my human experience. Now, I know everyone wants to live the best life possible. You know, everyone wants to enhance their pleasure, decrease their pain, become as successful as possible. Um, but I really took that. I've taken that to heart, you know, like from as far back as I can remember, I was always looking for the secrets, you know, whether that be advice from older people or reading books or studying different things. Like I wanted to figure this thing out. I wanted it because, and at the root of that is because I, I value my life so much. I really look as, at life as a, a, a very precious gift. And so I don't want to waste this gift. I don't want to waste this potential that I've been given um, because who knows, it might never come around again. You know, we all have different beliefs about what happens after death. I'm, I'm not sure what happens, but it may very well be that this is the one time on this ride. And if that's the case, I want to I have the best ride possible. So, uh, you know, living your life in that way, you collect a lot of information. And then, you know, information is one thing, but you have to turn it into wisdom by testing it and acting on it and applying it. And that's what I did. You know, I went out into the world and I, I really, I, I tested what I'd been showed again against or what I'd learned against the realities of, of human experience. And from that, I, I formulated or distilled um, all the wisdom into 20, 20 principles, which I outline in the book. It's not everything I learned, but it's at that point, it was the 20 most important things. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's how the book came to be. And um, it's something I, I really enjoyed writing and I'm very proud of. And I look at it as like the, I don't know, bookend isn't the right term, but it is kind of a bookend to the first phase of my life, the first 40 years of my life in which I was on this this quest. I'm still on the quest. I still want to learn. I still want to get better. But you know, they, they, I think in Islamic cultures say that you're, you're not really considered a man until you turn 40. Mm. And for me, like I wrote that book at around the age of 40 and it was like, okay, this is, this is phase one. This is a distillation. This is something I could give to, you know, the 15 year old Nick back. If I could go back in time and hand him this book, like it would make such a difference to him, you know? So um, that's how it came to be. 
was there a specific moment in time that you could look back to and say, at this point, I knew it was time for me to go a, a different path, right? The first kind of big chunk of your life was spent in martial arts. Was there a specific moment in time or was it just the accumulation of, you know, all of these years of being on the mat and being a martial artist? Uh, yeah, there, there was a specific moment in time. I wouldn't say it was a, a very crystallized single like flash, but there was a period in which I was, I was working my jujitsu business that had been pretty successful, um, uh, up until that point, but I, I was seven years into this business and I just, uh, my business partner in the t at the time and I, we just didn't see eye to eye and, and the business had stagnated at, at a specific level. And and try as hard as I could, I couldn't get it to grow beyond that level. And I was doing some deep reflection and realized one of the reasons was the guy I was working with and I would just weren't on the same frequency. And then the other reason is I realized that the universe was saying to me, okay, you've got to, you've got to expand now. You've got to grow. You've got to go beyond this, this thing that's, you know, you've, you've, you've done this now, you know, because I, I, I don't want to say I did it all, but man, I wrote two books on jujitsu. I produced videos. I produced membership courses. I created an association. I competed. I taught around the world. I, you know, had products. I had geese that I made. Like I'd done a hell of a lot in, in jujitsu. And it, it was just the, the next logical progression, you know, but also more than that, it was my, I could feel my soul was calling to me. I always knew on some level I was going to be someone in the in um i was going to give back in the in the world of of self-development because i've just got a lot to give and so that that was pulling at me and i knew if i didn't act on it i would forever be questioning i'd forever be thinking man I, I didn't make the biggest use of my gift so i i didn't step up and and um and grow in your book, you uh, have this, you say, this world belongs to those who take action. They get the best of everything. The rest get the dregs. Why do you think it is that some people, some business owners uh, settle for average while others want the entire world? Um, hmm. I think what it ultimately comes down to is I mean, everything comes down to love or fear, right? Your, your motivations for everything you do are either love or fear. And I think some of those people who want the entire world, uh, they actually want it from a place of fear. They don't feel secure within themselves. So they think if they make a certain amount of money or reach a certain level of success, then they'll be secure. Um, whereas some of them do it for love. Some of them are like, wow, like I've got to grow. I, I want to give, I've got this, this, power inside me that I know comes from from a higher source and I want to you know project that out into the world and that means I've got to grow and I I'm not going to be happy with having one gym or three gyms I want to have something I know I can do more I know I can do better right and I think it's the same reason some people uh don't expand is because they're afraid they know that building a bigger business will usually come with more responsibility or will require more dedication or commitment or more um work i guess or more energy from them and they might be afraid of that or they might be afraid of the consequences of what happens if they do become successful i know that was a thing for me for a long time that that kept me at a particular level is i didn't want to deal with all the hassle um or the potential downsides of 
more success. And that was ultimately because I was afraid. And I, I had to really take a long, hard look at that and, and then ask why I was afraid and then move from a place of fear into a place of love. I love it. Great, great response. Um, chapter 19, um, all about powerful routines. And I am a very routine type A kind of, you know, super organized, super structured type of person, but not everybody's like that. So, you know, what do you believe that, you know, our listeners, which are predominantly like business owners, entrepreneurs are usually missing out of their routines? What are they missing out of their routines? I mean, on a, on a broad level, it's usually consistency. They usually set up a routine and do it for a week or two and then get distracted. And, and the power from routines is cumulative, right? It, it builds up, it creates a momentum of its own for the longer you do it, right? So I noticed with myself, it just, just happened to me recently. I was in an excellent routine. Everything, I was firing on all cylinders. Everything was going really well. And then I had a friend come to stay with me. One of my best friends came to spend 10 days with me. And I didn't anticipate just how much that would throw me out of my routine. And I didn't anticipate what well, I knew getting, getting out of my routine was going to cost me. Like I, I noticed like everything just starts to deteriorate when I'm not doing my routines. Uh, so consistency is, is usually the thing that's missing. I mean, uh, specifically what, what actual routine are they missing? What actual habit are they missing from their routine? Uh, it's, it's two parts. The first is a dedicated morning routine. So every morning, wake up and, and get yourself into a state of mind or, or get your frequency to a place where you're going to be giving good energy and, and putting good things out into the world. You know, most of us wake up and it's just a rush. You know, you go brush your teeth, you maybe sit down, eat a, a breakfast in a hurry, watch the news with the TV blaring, like filling your mind with garbage. And then you down like a big coffee and then you go out into the world. And then, you know, that's a very like frantic or frenetic sort of energy to carry with you. And I'm sure you've experienced this, Chris, like the energy you put out into the world is the energy you get back. Right. So when you, when you head into the world carrying that or vibrating at that frequency, then that's what you get back. Whereas if you wake up and you know, you don't put on the TV and you do some, some stretching and some mobility work, you know, get the circulation going with your body to relax all your muscles. And then you do some, some mindfulness, you know, get present, do some gratitude practice, be thankful for everything good in your life. You maybe look at the, the day's to-do list and figure out the best way to, to approach the things you need to get done. And maybe say some positive affirmations or whatever it might be. And you've got this little ritual that centers you and, and prepares you. Then when you move out into the world, you're, you're, a, you're a different species of human, right? You're completely a different species of human. You're operating at a, a totally different frequency. And so the simulation or the world or whatever, whatever you believe this thing to be is, it then reflects back at you that, that calm, grounded, centered energy, right? I just saw this yesterday. I, I, Yesterday, I missed my morning routine um, for a specific reason I shouldn't have, but I, I could feel I was off. I wasn't centered. And I, I noticed that throughout the day, like little things happened. Like 
traffic I, I don't get in the flow of traffic when I'm in my car and like people cut me off and then you know like I I got into a, a little bit of a uh, an argument with the, the woman at the gas station about something and it's just I could just feel like things weren't flowing I wasn't I wasn't the best version of myself and so I think the morning routine is something most people are, are missing and and what most people miss if they do have a morning routine is is just quiet time like mindfulness, like quiet reflection where you, you calm everything down. I love it. I'm, I've been a huge fan of having a, a morning routine uh, for about the last decade. It changed slightly when my wife and I had a, a baby, right? Uh, but I think most people's mornings are very reactive as opposed to being proactive. Mm-hmm. Um you have a chapter, you know, in, in your book talking about meditation. And for me, this has been something that has been very challenging. I made it a goal to do it for 30 days straight, utilizing one of the apps on my phone. I Mm -hmm. did it for 30 days. I was miserable throughout every single one of those sessions. I am somebody that believes that action alleviates anxiety. Like if I'm feeling nervous about something, like let me just take action. Like I'm a doer. You know, what do you say to people like me that have, you know, maybe tried meditation and they just, they're not seeing its, its benefits. I would suggest. You think it's for everybody, I guess, is, is the other question. You know, everybody's such an absolute statement, Chris. I would say, I think it's for the vast majority of people. Uh, there are some people apparently for whom meditation just increases anxiety. I I've, I was told that by a medical professional. I I don't really believe that, but that's that's apparently the case. Um, I think when you meditate, you need to know what you're doing. You need to have a roadmap for for what it is you're trying to accomplish. And there's a very good uh, book called The Mind Illuminated that that um, has a, a very specific sequ- sequential process with um milestones and it shows you okay in the first few weeks this is what you're trying to get to then this is what you're trying to get to as opposed to just sitting there like it's very unlikely that if you just sit down and close your eyes you're going to stumble upon the benefits of meditation you might i did i actually did when i was younger i just closed my eyes and i said i'm just going to sit down until i feel fucking better right and eventually my mind became quiet and i entered into some meditative states but i got lucky I think for most people, they need to know why it is they're doing it and, and what to look for and, and, and specifically how to do it. So I would recommend that book, The Mind Illuminated by Kula Dasa is the author. Awesome. Do you have a favorite chapter in your book? And if so, you know, why is that your favorite chapter? Yeah, so originally the book was 19 chapters and uh, I couldn't, I mean, that was like, I couldn't really write much more. I was like, I, I, that was it. And then you've read the books. I'm sure you've read chapter 20, which, which came after the fact, like just before I was about to publish the book and it, it surrounds my, my divorce, uh, which was a very, like the hardest thing I've ever been through. And that's definitely my favorite chap- chapter because that was the one that I felt flowed through me more than any of the others. It was almost as if I was channeling it. And like I said, at the beginning of our, of our conversation, you know, a, a good book, it's something that or a book that needs to be written, needs to be written. It has to come out of you. And of all the chapters, that was the one that really just, it almost felt like I, I was channeling it. And so that's one of the reasons that it was my favorite chapter, chapter 20. 
Okay. And you said that you're currently in the process of writing the next book. Can we kind of take a peek behind the curtain? What's that sure. going to be all about? Yeah, the next one, Chris, is called The Heroic Entrepreneur. And it's all about my perspectives on what entrepreneurship really is. And I believe it's an analogy for the hero's journey. You know, a lot of people look at entrepreneurship as it's just business, right? It's trying to buy, a, uh, sorry, sell, buy or sell goods or services to make a profit. And it's my perspective that it's a lot more than that. And that, uh, you know, if you're doing it properly, it, it really is something that um, has a very soulful nature to it. And also if, if you're doing it properly, there's, there's a lot of challenges and it requires you to face your fears and, and just like any hero, find, find courage, right? And uh, it's, it's my philosophy on entrepreneurship and, and my approach to entrepreneurship and, and how it is, if done properly, a heroic endeavor. I love it. I can't wait till, do you have an estimated release date? I'm, I'm hoping Q1 next year and I will send you a copy for sure. Awesome. Very cool. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about this, you know, mentoring and coaching program that has come out of, you know, all of this, this work that you've been doing? Sure. Well, at the moment, I, I work with people in two ways. The first is uh, through my Heroic Entrepreneur Facebook group, which it's free. You're welcome to join. And I put content in there, which I think is, I don't think, I know it's, it's very, very valuable content and, and people get a lot out of it. And then I work with men specifically on a one-to-one -one basis, uh, either in a three-month capacity or in a one-year capacity. And that's just, uh, well, not just, it's, it's quite a comprehensive undertaking because, you know, um, when I was first starting my coaching, everyone was saying, oh, you've got to niche down. You've got to create a niche. You've got to create a speciality. And I tried to do that and I just couldn't because my work is, is all encompassing. You know, I, when, when I work with someone, we're working on his, his spiritual path. We're working on his physical path. So we, I create workouts for them or I help them get in shape um, on the spiritual path. I get them to meditate, right. To, to quiet their minds. And I get them to find out what they're passionate about. I get it's, it's to do with relationships as well. I, I challenge them on, you know, their relationships with, with women or the romantic relationships, if it's with men, whatever it might be like, I, I, you know, I, it's an all encompassing thing because I'm sure, you know, Chris, like it's very hard to lead a fully actualized life when one element of your life is, is dragging you down. You know, you, you can be doing great in business and you can be in great health, but if your relationship, your primary relationship or the relationships in your life are shit, then it generally ends up dragging down those other two, right? Or you can have a great relationship and, you know, have fantastic health, but your business is crappy and you're not making enough to survive. And then you're not going to be happy or fulfilled, right? Or you can have all three of those things great, but it's, you, you feel hollow because you're not really giving your gifts back to the world. And so, you know, when I work with men, like that's the commitment I make to them is like, we're going to, we're going to focus on not one thing, but, but everything to make you the best possible version of yourself. I know being an entrepreneur, you know, an entrepreneur and you know, starting a, a jujitsu school as my first business, you know, it was, it was like my baby and I sacrificed so many things, including my health. Um, and I think this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs find themselves, you know, doing is, 
oh, there's never enough time in the day. I'll, I'll get the workout in later. Mm. And I, I, I definitely see this as a, you know, it just as a consistent thing in the entrepreneurial world where business owners, you know, 99.9% of their time is spent on the business and they're completely forgetting everything else mm-hmm. that you said, like the relationships, the friendships, the, the community, the contribution, you know, to give back. One of my favorite quotes is that there's no worldly success that can compensate for failure in the home. And that has been wow. a, a guiding yeah. light for me. Doesn't matter how much money I have, if I'm not a present parent, you know, for my, yeah. for my son. There's um, no worldly abs- success that can compensate for failure in the home. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah. I heard I've it realized- first from Russell Brunson. So from, oh, that's nice. where I heard it. So. That's, that's yeah. cool. You know, it, it's, I'm realizing that that old paradigm of like hustle and grind until, until, you know, you've amassed your fortune and you do it at all costs. That paradigm is not only outdated, it's, it always comes with a price that is, in my opinion, exceeds the the rewards, right? It either costs your health, right? Which is, I mean, once your health is gone, you can't buy it back, right? Like, I mean, if Steve Jobs was, if we could speak to him when he was alive during those final years, when he was dying of pancreatic cancer, I'm sure if the option was available, he would have given every penny he had to buy his health back, but he couldn't, just, it's not an option, right? And then the second thing it usually costs you if, you do that if you buy into that is your soul right because you're either doing something you hate or very often doing something you hate or you are doing things that are questionable morally you're stepping over people or living in that doggy dog kill or be killed paradigm and i see it over and over again i see these business guys who they've made it to the top right but they are empty shells, hollow shells of human beings. And that's even if that was the only way, I would not choose it. I would not choose it, right? What are your but thoughts th- on like work-life balance? Do you believe in work-life balance? Do you believe in work-life integration? You know, what are your thoughts on that? I believe in integration. I, like for me, my whole philosophy is that I'm going to be the best entrepreneur I can be when I'm the happiest, healthiest, most integrated, uh, passionate human being that I can be. And what that means is not working 15 hours a day until my eyes get fucking blurry and my I get a stomach ulcer and I just feel like crap and I neglect all my relationships. And that, that to me is not the way forward. It's not, it just doesn't make sense to me, you know, but I know that, when I do my morning routine and when I'm grateful and when I'm calm and rested and present that I do better work anyway, you know, I, I, my service is better. Right. And, and so when my service is better, I make more money. You know, there's, there's people out there who do exceptionally well financially and they aren't stressed. They aren't stressed and they're doing things they love and they're, they're giving back and they feel good about what they're creating. And, you know, I'm one of those people and I'm, and I help people become those people. And, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm living proof and it can be done. Right. So um, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. 
In, in the closing of your book, you, you quoted Hodger Gracie and said, you can have anything you want in life as long as you're prepared to give what's required to get to it. So what does that look like for you? What is the, you know, I hate to use the term next level, but what does the next level look for for Nick? What does that look like? So to answer, that's two questions. I'll answer the first one, which is uh, like, what, what am I prepared to give or what is required? And for me, it's, it's commitment, authenticity, presence, uh, discipline. You know, there's, there's several there's these things that just, it's not going to happen without them, right? Because the caveat is you can feel as great as you want to feel and meditate for 12 hours a day, but unless you're taking the action required, nothing's going to come of it, right? So um, there's that. And then the next level for me is, it's just to scale up. It's to do everything I'm doing on a larger scale. It's just to reach more people. That's why I've started the Heroic Entrepreneur Group and I'll be doing online workshops, my first workshops in a couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's putting myself out there more and, and just giving more back by scaling up. That's what the next level looks like. Everything I'm doing, I, I think I'm doing it very well. Obviously, there's no one's doing everything as, as well as it can be done because no one's perfect. But uh, now I just need to scale it up. I love it. And if our listeners want to follow you, would the, the Heroic Facebook group be the, the best way to connect with you and your content? Yeah, either go to coachnickg.com and that's Nick with just a C, no K, or the Heroic Entrepreneur on Facebook. You just type in Heroic Entrepreneur on Facebook and you'll find it. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. We got to talk about two of my favorite things, which is, you know, jujitsu and entrepreneurship, but but really like human optimization and how we can be the, you know, the best person that we can be. Anything mm-hmm. else you'd like to share before we wrap up? No, thank you for the opportunity to come on your show, Chris. I appreciate you. Thanks, Nick.